Welcome to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was West Five and Congratulations. And that was a single way back from 1965. It's because I've got Michael Snow here, singer, songwriter, and musician who's worked for so many artists, including John Lennon, Colin Blunstone, Chuck Berry, a great songwriter in his own right. And we'll be hearing a selection of music from his career today and you'll be really dazzled and surprised by it coming up so you're originally from liverpool yes ireland then liverpool and nashville yeah you're in nashville at the minute and your first band before west five was it the barons yes well the full name was lee castle and the barons it was that was a neighborhood band in walton we were all round goodness bark area and uh Paddy Chambers was in it, Trevor Murray, Old Clayton, Lee Castle, Tommy Bennett, and uh we did one single on Parlophone. Unfortunately it wasn't George Martin producing it. It was some other idiot <laughs> who didn't know what didn't know what he was doing. So that that record, it was a cover of a Smokey Robinson and the Miracles song. It didn't do anything. I mean, it got us some more gigs. We were quite the quite the tra- the traveling band. 
And so we opened with West Five. So what led you into West Five and away from the Barons? Well, I got a scholarship to Leeds University. And before going to Leeds, I kind of had the summer off. So I became a Butlin's Redcoat. And I went up to the Scottish location, which was Earl. I did a summer there as a redcoat, singing redcoat, and the band that were playing in the rock and roll ballroom were what became West Five. They were a really hot R&B band. I mean, compared to the Liverpool bands, these guys were doing Bobby Blue Bland and all kinds of real deep R&B cuts but they didn't have a keyboard player. And I got real friendly with them in the course of the season. And then when I came back to Liverpool, they got in touch with me and they said, well, we we got a deal in London with the people who manage the Hollies. And they also manage this new band, the Zombies. Yeah. But... They said they had to have a keyboard player. So they asked me if I wanted to go down to London and become a keyboard player with them. So I said, yeah, sure, why not? So I moved down to London. The management company, which was a guy called Tommy Sanderson. Now, with the Barons, we'd played a couple of shows with the Zombies in Liverpool, right when they had She's Not There. And they didn't really know their way around the north, so we kind of took them around Liverpool and showed them where to get a drink, where to get something to eat. We kind of got to know them, and then when I got down to London, I walked into the office, and the first guy I saw was Colin Blundstone. And he remembered me from Liverpool, and he said, oh, aren't you the guy from the Barons? And I said, yes. He said, oh, well, do you remember last year we did two shows or so with you? I said, yeah, I certainly do. So I got to know Carling, and also because the Hollies had done one of Doris Troy's songs, they did a cover of uh, Just One Look. So she came over to do a tour with the Stones and the Hollies. And the band that they booked to back her, she didn't think they were up to it. But we were rehearsing in the same building as West Five. And so she said, well, I want those guys. So suddenly we gone with Doris. And we did that whole tour with Doris and the Hollies and the Stones. Well, Tommy Sanderson, he was friendly with Andrew Oldham. And up to that point, the, the Stones hadn't, nobody else had caught any of their songs. So they had this song, Congratulations. And we did an arrangement of that as a single this is right at the beginning of the pirate radio deal. 
And I think Radio Caroline jumped on it, mainly because it had a, it had a great guitar solo. And other than that, it was kind of a five-part vocal harmony. It got onto the charts, and I think it got to oh, maybe number 20 or number 18. Whether it actually got onto the national charts, I don't know. But it was real popular in London. After West Five, another of your groups was Very Swill, a band that had a number of your songs like um, I Can't Break the Habit. That was quite a different sound to West Five. Yes, it was. Well, Ferris Wheel was actually Emil Ford's checkmates, only without Emil. Emil had gone to Scandinavia, and I was playing with Diane Ferraz and Nicky Scott. We did a residency in Paris, and when we got back from Paris... Simon Napier-Bell got involved and he was managing Diane Ferraz and Nicky Scott, but they weren't getting along well. And then I got to know a couple of the guys in the Checkmates and they were getting ready to change their direction and they needed a keyboard player because the Checkmates guy, he, he didn't want to continue with the checkmates and the checkmates had been doing the checkmates thing for so long. They they wanted a change of attitude and so they still had their record deal with Pi, but they didn't want to put records out as the checkmates. So we got Diane Ferraz to join the checkmates and that's how it became Ferris Wheel. We did two albums with her fronting, and then we got Marsha Hunt, and she took over from Diane. And then after that, we got Linda Lewis. Ah. Ferris Wheel at that point really took off behind Linda because, well, you know how good Linda Lewis yeah. was, is. Then we, we made. The next couple albums with Linda and Ian Samwell came on board as the producer. That gave Ferris Wheel another boost, you know. So we actually had three different lady lead singers in Ferris Wheel. And I was still working with Doris. So, man, it was great. I, 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 I just had women singers. <laughs> And they were all brilliant.
over time, your songwriting just got better and better. So Marmalade did a version of your song, Can't Stop Now. How did that happen? Well, that was, I got signed to Les Reed's publishing company. Well, you know, Les was our, our chart, big time. Yeah. The very first song he recorded on Marmalade was Can't Stop Now. I wrote that with the two guys who had been working with Diane Ferraz in as her backing band. So uh, these were all these coincidences, you know, yeah. that all kind of happened in the same 18-month period, you know, when I was a busy boy. And you also um, worked uh, for Robert Stigwood in the publishing side, didn't you? I did. And again, that that was tied in with Ferris Wheel because they had been part of the Checkmates thing. Yeah. And then when he, being Robert Stigwood, when he took over the Checkmates deal, I got to meet the, the infamous Gunnell brothers, Rick and John Gunnell, and they hired me to run their publishing company, and their publishing company <laughs> then got bought by Stigwood, so we all moved across the street into the Stigwood building. Then the thing with the Bee Gees happened because Stigwood got all of the publishing for the Bee Gees stuff, so I ended up kind of running that division as well. At that point... I sort of had to come off the road because I was playing playing the office game, you know, mm. every day. And then that led that the Gunnels decided that they were going to open a division of RSO in the States. And they asked me if I'd come to America and run the publishing division. And I'd just married an American girl, so... It was kind of like, oh, yeah, that 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 would work. And that led to me coming over to America. We're not too young to know what's right or wrong. But yet you say the love I feel is... Too strong, but when you're near, I just can't stop from shouting. Can't stop now, too close together now, my love. Too close together, can't stop now, too close together now, my love. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Can't stop you know now, I love the very words you say. Can't don't stop and pretend that you don't feel the same. Stronger. Don't make me wait much longer. 
mentioned about the very strong connection that you had with Doris Troy. You were a musical director. Yes. Doris decided that she was going to stay in England for a while and see what happened because Billy Preston had just come over and she was tight with Billy. And then she got signed to Apple because Billy got signed to Apple. And at that point, England became her her base of operations. And so she she asked me if I'd be a a pianist and musical director. I was writing some with her at that point. I was getting on well with Billy, but Billy had his own thing to do. So Billy couldn't play with her or he couldn't commit to an arrangement with her. And after I got up off the floor, You know, I said, yeah, I will, I will. So I started working with her. There's some great material on uh, one of her Apple albums. Were you in the studio around the same time when she was working with George Harrison? Well, yeah, but I didn't really play on that stuff because Billy was doing all the keyboard work. But I used to be around holding her hands, so to speak, and... Peter Frampton was working on all that stuff as well. A lot of people didn't know that Peter, he played guitar on all of the Apple stuff that Doris did. The album that you worked a lot with Doris on was uh, The Rainbow Testament, wasn't it? Yeah. And that, again, becomes full circle because Chris got involved. Was that Chris White of the Zombies? Yeah, because of the connection putting all the pieces together and we were getting ready to to do the live album and Chris, he, he really dug it. So Chris actually produced that album, the live one. We had a great lineup for that. We had, uh, again, elements of Ferris Wheel in it, George Ford is playing bass. We had Tony Ashton. Ashton Gardner Dyke, he was playing organ, I was playing piano. Byron Lifefook, who had been the drummer with Jimmy James and the Vagabonds, he was playing drums with Doris. It was the same 10 or 15 people playing on all those records. What songs were featured on that album? Yeah, a lot of them obscure R&B songs, songs that she'd written. Songs that Billy Preston wrote, a couple of Bill Withers songs. Uh, I remember Grandma's Hands was one. And then, of course, Doris, you know, she was writing. That's a great album, actually. It's a, we had the mobile truck from Abbey Road because once Chris was involved, because we'd done Collins' album at Abbey Road, so in that same time frame, we did Doris's live album, and so we used the mobile truck from Abbey Road at the Rainbow. Yeah. 
let's testify. Right here, we want to look at the other side of it. You know the side where your friends, they don't treat you right. Things don't seem to be going right. You know them days that I'm talking about when things just ain't right. But you know what you say to yourself? Say, that's life, that's the games people play. And we're gonna sing about it this morning. Cause we know what you know. We know you know what we talk about. Here's how it goes. Whoa, the games people play. I got to tell you about it.
Doris was being managed by Tommy Sanderson, which led to the whole connection with Colin Blunstone, because Colin was getting ready to do a solo tour because the zombies had broken up. I was seeing Colin every day down the office, and he said, well, will you put a band together for me because I need to go on tour. I didn't really want to do it because what he was doing, it was a different bag, much more kind of classically oriented. But he was a real good guy. I, I liked him a lot. So he had this tour coming up where he was headlining and the opening act was ELO. This was the first ELO tour. And so the deal was... It was all going to be opera houses. And so it was the novelty of Colin was touring with the string section and he needed somebody to conduct and play piano because Rod Argent had just launched Argent, the group. So he, he couldn't go out with Colin. So I ended up doing that tour with Colin which was great fun. That was when he had Say You Don't Mind. I put together a real nice rhythm section with five string players in addition. Colin Blunstone, Nismal. So the big single off that was um, I Don't Believe in Miracles. Oh, yes. You worked on that on the studio at Abbey Road with Colin. Is that right? Yes. Well, and again, I mean, Rod would, would have done all of that stuff but he was out on the road promoting Argent. And as I was out on the road with Colin, it was more a thing of like, well, Rod couldn't do it. So for, for Don't Believe in Miracles, Rod taught me that in like 20 minutes while the Argent bus was out in the parking lot. Yeah. And he, he said, well, it goes like this. And, you know, it's a real complex Song, very complex song. And he's showing me the piano part and he's looking at his watch. It's like, come on, have you got it yet? I said, man, this is a tough piano part. And you're right, Argent. You don't expect me to just go boom, boom, boom. But of course, he did. So I kind of wrote it down real quick. And he got in the, the truck and left. And I was using the rhythm section that we'd been using to tour with Colin. So we went in, the five of us, and we did Don't Believe in Miracles in like an hour. Yeah. And Colin sang it live. <laughs> and we were all like, did we just do that? And we're all looking at our watches now going, damn, that was fast. And then we overdubbed the strings in the afternoon and it was on the radio the next week and then it became a, and we were still touring so we got the benefits of the tour and of course the tour went crazy because he was singing that song every night and audiences weird and for the first time and we had the strings and the whole thing and we Wipe the floor with the L.O. on that one, you know. 
Sanderson and so Tommy said to me would you be interested in doing something with Chuck Berry so I got up off the floor again and I got linked up with Chuck but at the same time this was all a convolution of coincidences and the band that they were going to use for Chuck was the guy's who were working with Jimmy Campbell, you know, Billy Kinsley. And so that was kind of a session band. And so Hal Carter, as I was tied up doing the deal with what became Rockin' Horse, Hal said, well, would you be up for working with Chuck Berry? I said, well, it's the second time I've been asked this week whether I'd work with Chuck Berry. And I said, well, of course. I will. So I I had that whole year, I was working with Colin, I was working with Doris, and I was working with Rockin' Horse. And I had Chuck Berry and Jimmy Campbell. And so I did the Jimmy Campbell album, 
I did the Rockin' Horse album. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Rocking Horse. Oh, yeah. And songs like Julian the Hooligan have got some amazing piano that you did on that. Oh, thank you. This was all part of that same crew of folks who all kind of hung around together. I knew Hal Carter from Liverpool because he'd been Billy Fury's road manager for years. And he, he discovered Jimmy, and Billy was trying to get something going with Jimmy. And so that's how initially we got the Chuck Berry thing. Yeah. And then once we'd done the Chuck Berry thing, then it was kind of like I was in Rockin' Horse, even though Rockin' Horse wasn't a band. No. It was a, it was a little studio guys. You know, it was, it was Billy Kinsley. Jimmy Campbell, Stan Gorman was the drummer, Bobby Falloon was a guitar player, I, I played keys.
same circle you have uh jimmy campbell and one of his uh later albums jimmy campbell's album yeah and songs like by the light of a lamp and i've read that jimmy laid down acoustic guitar and vocals but then hal invited you in to do arrangements to that material right afterwards oh yeah well the thing was that jimmy he hated london he, i mean he, he couldn't stand being in london so he'd come in and he'd do his guitar and voice and then he'd be on the next train back to Liverpool. And so Hal, he couldn't get finished product. So he called me up and said, could you help us get this stuff for Jimmy? Because I can't get Jimmy to spend time in London. And I'm sitting here with all these great songs. So I said, well, what? He said, well, he said, you know, I've just got his voice and one guitar. Can you fill it out? I said, well, yeah, but geez. <laughs> you know, it's going to cost some money. And Hal said, well, the record company's gone crazy. They want it. They want it. So I went in and I, I did all of, the, all of the orchestral arrangements for that. That's a good record, by the way. Very good record. Yeah. But Jimmy, you know, Jimmy took me, he came in into town and he took me to a pub, of course. And he said, now, Michael, he said, don't fuck with these songs too much, right? <laughs> Pardon my French. I said, well, I'm, uh, you know, I got I to do something with him. He said, oh, well, he said, you know, <laughs> not a not hundred violins. I don't want a hundred violins. I said, well, what about a hundred French horns? He said, that'd be better. So I ended up using a lot of French horn players. And that was a good record, real good record. Of what I have done today 
my friends fast asleep in the room next to mine. Down in the street, there's a small cafe. We were there today. We talked of the world, and she did say that she was finding it hard to get by. I said I'd always had the problem. She said that if she were alone, she could cry. That she could cry. This hotel used to be occupied by high-ranking German officers. I'm lying here, but I can't sleep, and I'm thinking that I should go home. There's people there who like to see me now and then. I'll check out tomorrow, and I'll go home. Yes, I'll go home. This hotel. Used to be occupied by high-ranking German officers. So you played a lot of dates with Chuck Berry. Oh yeah. What was he like to play with live on songs like Memphis, Tennessee? He was Chuck Berry. I, I mean, I went. We well, we never had a rehearsal. Yeah. The first gig was at Lancaster University. He said, "Send me the piano player." So I went into his dressing room and I said, "Oh, hello, nice to meet you. What are we doing?" He said. We're doing some Chuck Berry music. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Now, you got a set list? No, he said, you'll know. Oh, but, but uh, any running order? No, he said, I'll start playing, and you guys start playing, and when I put my right leg down, that means we're finishing the song. So we toured for almost four months, and we never... Did a rehearsal. We never had a set list. We just did Chuck Berry. No questions asked. And it was, yeah, it was great. We, we had a wonderful time. And he, he was, I mean, we'd heard all the horror, horror stories, you know, about how difficult he was and all of that. We never had a problem with him at all. It was great. He, he didn't even do them in the same keys. From night to night, it's wherever, wherever those great big hands fell. That was the key we were doing it in, you know. And uh, toured all over Europe and did a bunch of TV. We did a fabulous show at uh, the Speakeasy. The front two rows were all the Stones were sitting on one row, 
and the Beatles were sitting on the next row and they were right in front of us. And we'd done an afternoon gig in Bremen, a show called Beat Club. Yeah. And we'd flown out and done Beat Club in the afternoon, flew back to London, and then we did the speakeasy that night with quite a tasty audience. I did the Chuck Berry Live album, the BBC live broadcast that they still show on Chuck's birthday every year. I had a real busy 18 months there. Then we did uh, the Ennismore album with Colin. So that that was all, all of those records. Doris's live album, which Chris White got involved in because, again, it was all coming through the same office. So basically, Tommy Sanderson had all of these real cool acts at the same time. And I ended up being lucky enough to work with all of them. Tennessee. 
last time I saw Marie She is waving me goodbye With hurry home drops on her cheek That trickle from her eye Marie is only six years old Information please Try to put me through to her In Memphis, Tennessee to you i've got to ask you about rosetta which is perhaps your biggest song yes. for georgie fame and alan price right that song has got a bit of um fats domino but the lyrics are bit sort of randy newman is was that what you were aiming for oh yeah the guitar player with ferris wheel came over to the states on a holiday and when he came back to london he had that first randy newman album something new under the sun. And he said, you love this. And he, he gave me the record and it, it knocked my socks off completely, you know. And at the time, I didn't equate that with Fast Domino. And I didn't realize that Randy was from New Orleans. Yeah. But for some reason, it made a connection in my head and when I wrote Rosetta, it was kind of like I wasn't trying to write Randy Newman, but it had that loping fast domino thing that I realized Randy Newman was using too. You see, that Alan Price was part of that old circle round the Gunnell brothers as well. Ah. So I would see Alan and Georgie in the office on a day-to-day basis, and there was this talk that they were going to do a record together, which they did. And I'd recorded Rosetta because I was doing a solo album at the same time. Yeah. And I I gave the Gunnell Brothers an acetate of, of the album after I'd finished it. And uh, they called me in one day and said, well, we've got good news for you. Oh, what's that? He said, you know, Georgie and Alan are doing an album together and they want to do Rosetta. I said, no, they can't do that. That's mine. That's my that's, that's my single. Yeah. But they were the Gunnell brothers and it was like, you know, do you want to take a swim in the Thames? So I kind of said, well, all right, yeah, please don't hurt me. And, of course, it wasn't just a big hit. For Georgie and Alan, but the most unlikely sort. I mean, Pinky and Perky did it. <laughs> they really did, really. It sold a lot. It sold almost as many as Georgie and Alan. <laughs> it was, it, yeah, it was an EP. It had that, and it had Bridget the Midgets. So when I came to Nashville, the first person that I got in touch with was Ray Stevens. Yes. You know, because I said, oh, you've heard of Pinky and Perky? 
He said, man, did you have anything to do with that? I said, no. I said, but I, there was another song on the EP called Rosetta. He said, oh, yeah, like Pat's Domino song. <laughs> you know? So that put me in with Ray Stevens, which was cool. You got an Ivan Avello Award for Rosetta. Yeah. That's that's almost as good as Pinky and Perky. Almost. <laughs> that surprised me, because I, I didn't see that song as a as a as an award winner. You know, I didn't, it was more like a novelty to me. But when it got the, the novello, it was like, oh, it's the only one I ever got. Was for Pinky and Pet. Well, my little girl is a sweet little girl, and she does things that make your eyebrows curl. You let her loose on a Friday night, you know it's gonna end in a bite. Rosetta drinks her whiskey neat. She gets in a fight, but she might get beat. So I go around on a Saturday night and ask her if she feels alright. Rosetta, are you better? when John Lennon recorded Power to the People. Yes. Again, that was through Doris, because she was signed to Apple. Billy Preston was signed to Apple. Lennon just said to her, hey, Doris, put a choir together. I've got this song that I want to do with a gospel choir. And, of course, Doris, was she was the queen of the session singers at that point. And had been in the States as well, you know. Because she'd, she'd done all those Solomon Burke records and 
so she she really knew a, a way around the studio side of things. And initially, we went out to John's house, and we were going to do it out because he had a studio out there. Titnurst was yeah, Titnurst, yeah. So we went out there to do the choir, and Doris had got all of the coolest studio singers you could imagine, you know. And there was about 15, 20 of us, and we went out there to the house, and for some reason they couldn't get the studio working that day. And we'd all gone out in a bus from Abbey Road, so we got sent back because we couldn't record at a Titnurst, and we recorded it the following day at Abbey Road. Oh. So it actually, it never actually got recorded at Titnurst. But that was that. I read everybody was on that as well. You know, Ferris wheel guys. They did the rhythm section at a different time because we were driving backwards and forwards to and from Titnurst. So they, they actually did the rhythm section was John played piano, Alan White played drums, Klaus played bass, I think Phil Kenzie played sax on it, but the actual choir part of it was done at Abbey Road.
and you mentioned earlier about working in publishing and Robert Stigwood, and that led you over to America and ultimately Nashville. Yeah. You continued songwriting. Well, yeah. When I got over here, for some reason, I, I got tight with a bunch of Irish musicians who were based in Chicago. They would come down to Nashville now and then, and there was an Irish club down on 2nd Avenue or 3rd Avenue, and they used to play there regularly. I started just because even though my parents were both Irish, I mean, I'd grown up in Liverpool, you know, so I didn't feel that great a connection until I started working with these guys from Chicago and they were all like prominent Irish studio guys who had moved to the States. So they were really good, good players and everything. And they started getting me playing accordion and tenor banjo and various instruments that they didn't have. So then I started going up to Chicago and working on their records, playing instruments that I didn't really know how to play. I learned pretty quick. Then I started writing Celtic songs, and then I got a record deal doing Celtic stuff. I did four albums with an Irish label that kind of moved me into traditional Irish field. And then suddenly I was an Irish musician. That came out particularly around 20 years ago on um, albums like The Rats and the Rosary and uh, Rambling Road. You can really hear that Celtic sound. Oh, well, I was committed. You know, if I was going to be making Irish-sounded records... They better sound Irish. <laughs> so I started going over to Ireland much more and getting to know a lot of the players in Dublin. And then I found out that Irish music isn't that difficult to play. And then I produced a couple of Irish acts over, over here. And then I, I really kind of developed a love for it, a new, a new love for it that... I had never realized was there. Let's go riding on the rambling road up the country where the wildflowers grow. Drive real slow when we're riding on the rambling road. We can leave the town and wander all around, just like the raggle tackle gypsies all. Up the hills to the higher ground, hit the brake and pick an Irish rose. Let's go riding on the rambling road up the country where the wildflowers grow. It won't matter if we drive real slow when we're riding on the rambling road. Down in the valley where the river flows See the fisher king of the salmon race Cross on over by the stepping stones Let's go riding on the rambling road Up the country where the wildflowers grow It won't matter if we drive real slow When 
on the rumbling road Hear the honeybees busy in the trees Sharing kisses in the shady grove A tank of juice and the rest is free Let's go riding on the rambling road When we're riding on the rambling road Of the country where the wildflowers grow It won't matter if we don't come home Let's go riding on the rambling road When we're riding on the rambling road Of the country where the wildflowers grow It won't matter if we don't come home Let's go riding on the rambling road You've stayed very active and uh, continued to write songs for people and, and recorded um, even Julie Andrews. Yeah, you know, I had nothing to do with the Julie Andrews thing, other than the fact that I wrote the song that she recorded when she came to Nashville. But I never met her or had anything to do with that record. Somebody said, hey, you got a Julie Andrews cut. What? Julie Andrews, but she came to town and she did an album with uh, Bob Montgomery, who used to be in the crickets, you know, with Buddy Holly. Yeah. And for some reason, he, he, he got tied in with her and she came to town and she did a whole album with Bob Montgomery. And at the time, I had an involvement through the crickets with Montgomery, and I guess he liked that song, and suddenly it was on a Julie Andrews album, you know. I was gobsmacked. It's the uh, ballet that time forgot. It's got a, a lovely um, simplicity to it, which is a lot harder to write than people would think. Oh, yeah. There were three of us wrote that. It was a, a really fine Nashville writer called Larry Keith and myself. And I guess Montgomery was involved in it too. But yeah, that was a real, like a show tune. Yeah. Other than co-writing it, I wasn't around when they recorded it or any, any of that.
We're safe and we're sound In the good life we found This valley the time for God mention the McDonald's commercials. Was that in when you were doing jingles? You you did McDonald's. Oh I I peddled I peddled burgers. <laughs> no, in fact, we did a whole series of them. I had a jingle company with a guy called Bill Martin. And one of the songs that we did was a ra- a song by the Rascals called It's a Beautiful Morning. Yeah. We turned out into a McDonald's commercial. And I ran into Felix at a party, and we were talking about this and that, and the other and the I said, oh, I said, you know what? We did a McDonald's commercial based on one of your tunes. He said, was that you? <laughs> I said, well, I was one of yeah. Made a lot of money out of that. He said, but don't do it again. <laughs> so it was like... Okay. He wasn't annoyed at all. No. Did a lot of commercials. I thought for, for the last song to feature, Michael, a Skelly's farewell would be very fitting to close. You've just had a, a remarkable career in music as a musician and songwriter, and uh, I just want to really thank you for your time today. Well, you're more than welcome. I've had a ball doing it. Thank you for your time. It's been really appreciated. Okay, well, I... Would, are you are you from Alton or Wigan or something? I'm from Leeds. Leeds? Yes. Where I almost went to college. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Leeds. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye. Oh.
Thank you for listening to the strange brew podcast if you do like the show please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online it's 10 years since i started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time all your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests to support me just go to the strangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the home page thank you very much Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you. Well, my little girl is a sweet little girl, but she does things make your eyebrows curl. You let her loose on a Saturday night, you know it's going to end in a fight. Rosetta drinks her whiskey neat She gets in a fight and she might get beat So I go around on the Sunday night Ask her if she feels alright Rosetta, are you better? Are you well, well, well? Rosetta, are you better? Are you well, well, well? Well, well, well Well, well, well Well Knocked on the door, but we couldn't.
around. Rosie ended on the ground. I took her home and I put her to bed. You can guess what I said. I said, Rosetta, are you better? Are you well, well, well? Rosetta, are you better? Are you well, well, well? Are you 